Hello everybody. Welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical, the podcast made by high schoolers for high schoolers. Today we're moving back to our regular conversation format. The idea of starting a business is something that everybody thinks about at least once in their life, whether it be the lemonade stand on the side of the street or a multi-million dollar company that changes the lives of millions. Our guest today is Anne Marie Giuliano, the product manager at our B2B or business to business social benefit corporation Produce Locator. She attended Harvard Business School and completed a course in sustainable business strategies. To hear more about Ms. Giuliano's success and why she started her company Produce Locator, stay tuned right after this. This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride to the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. Anne-Marie, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, your past entrepreneurial ventures and your startup, Produce Locator? Sure. So I started my career off in independent contracting um, under Sustainable Business Solutions. And I really started mostly at BCG, Boston Consulting Group. And I had multiple clients. Um, at one point, I had four clients at once both from working on behalf of other consulting firms and private clients of mine. And then um, at that same time as well, I started Produce Locator. So you could imagine I had my hands full, <laughs> um, but I'd say the largest you know, venture that I've been through is with Produce Locator because um, Sustainable Business Solutions was a bit smaller. Um, so more about Produce Locator is it's an e-com tech SaaS PVC that offers grocers the ability to manage multiple online food ordering marketplaces in one central platform. So for example, in our dashboard, um, item availability, prices, hours, etc., can be edited and automatically updated in all integrated marketplaces simultaneously. And then additionally, grocers can view and manage orders coming in from all marketplaces in this one single platform. So there's no need to juggle multiple marketplaces from various apps and tablets anymore. Thank you for your answer. My next question is, now Produce Locator is interestingly a benefit corporation. And most of the businesses that we see now are for-profit LLCs or limited liability corporations. Could you talk a little bit more about the different types of corporations and why you specifically decided to go with a benefit corporation for Produce Locator? Sure. So Produce Locator's mission is to support local retailers by improving their efficiency, awareness, accessibility, and sales while decreasing food waste, food deserts, and food insecurity. So, for example, the grocers registered with us now have zero awareness, but offer the most diverse and affordable groceries in urban areas. So we targeted them because we wanted to provide more awareness of low-priced, healthy groceries. So when it comes to having a public benefit corp status incorporation um, what that is is it's basically just a corporation created to benefit the public in some way 
So it's not just about profits like other corporations, but it's also about sustainability. And not to um, mix this with B Corps, B Corps are not a incorporation type really. It's more of a private certification. So that's different and it must go through an audit vetting process and meet specific standards of uh, social and environmental sustainability. So this is mostly used by much larger companies. So I'd like Produce Locator to get there at some point. Um, And then other more general types would be LLC, S Corp and C Corp. So LLC is used a lot more common when a company first starts because the taxes can be passed through and it's just financially a better strategy sometimes. But the difference is it's run by members. And when it comes to an S Corp, the other type or C Corp, that is run by a board of directors and shareholders. Um, But the S Corp is also passed through. And the problem there though, is it's not really investor friendly because you can't hold shares in entities. So for example, when it comes to VC or angel investors, they like to not hold shares under their name, but under a LLC most likely. So that's what C-Corps are for. Um, It's more shareholder friendly in that way. And then the only negative side to a C-Corp though, is that it can get double taxation. So I like what you said there in the beginning about food deserts. And um, I think a lot of us like living in the United States obviously take this for granted. Uh, But there are still areas in the world where you can't just go to the grocery store down your street and, you know, pick up all the necessities you need for the week. You actually need to farm it or hunt it. So it, it can be very, very difficult to get food. And even in the United States, as you mentioned, there's still food deserts at places where for blocks at a time, there's no grocery store to get fresh produce. So could you talk a little bit about that problem in the United States and uh, how you figured out about it and how you ever raised awareness about it and also why you decided to take take action on it? Yeah, so I had no idea food deserts existed for a while either. I grew up in the suburbs upstate New York and then it wasn't until college that I moved to New York City and discovered that a lot of the boroughs had food deserts in them. Um, Manhattan was, I mean, they're pretty much the borough that doesn't uh, really have it compared to the other ones. But I found out um, and it kind of was a reality check for me because I I kind of felt like I grew up sheltered in a way, like not knowing that food deserts existed in urban areas um, because there was so much around, like there's so many delis and so many corner stores, but it's not about accessibility to food um, per se, but it's accessibility to healthy and nutritious and whole food. So um, when I was trying to find on my journey, nutritious food that was affordable. I couldn't really find a lot of options near me when I lived in Brooklyn. And that's when I set off on my journey to go and 
you know, find something maybe not close by, but um, venture out to other places that might have what I'm looking for. And the retailers that are on our platform now, that's how I found them. Um, and they didn't have any digital footprint. Like I said, they have no awareness or accessibility, which is why I started this venture in the first place. I have a quick question that doesn't exactly really relate to produce locator. It's more about the whole health trend that's going on right now and how everybody's talking about organic food and stuff like that. So does produce locator have any like initiatives where they're trying to get more organic without MSG and stuff like that to farmers? So when I did market research on the food desert areas, it was a lot of low income areas as well. And so what I found is we really just needed to prioritize getting whole nutritious food to these people. And unfortunately, we couldn't be too picky when it came to organic, like they just needed food in general. That was our priority. So um, in the future, I would love to incorporate organic food and be able to also offer that in our platform. But for the MVP, that's not one of our priorities. Right. So you talked about like how organic food can obviously be very expensive and it's it's better to like, you know, get healthy, nutritious food that's not organic rather than not to have it all. It's like a alternative, good, better, best scenario, essentially. So um, if you do plan to move to more organic food in the future or uh, more like the next tier high quality food, obviously that requires a lot of money and uh, that money can come in the form of investors, which um, I'm assuming you've already worked on and planned out. So could you talk a little bit about how, um, about the different types of funding routes, investor channels, et cetera, and how Produce Locator is getting its initial finances? Because obviously investors are incredibly important when it comes to getting the initial funding for a business. Sure, so there's definitely a lot of different types of investors, uh, so I can go through those. There's VCs, which are venture venture capital, angels, which are more individuals, um, and then there's accelerators, grants, banks, and uh, crowdfunding, um, and then there's different stages of funding as well. So there's pre-seed, that's more of a pre-revenue stage where you may have a prototype but haven't launched yet, seed, which is early traction, found product market fit. And Series A and beyond is any uh, stage after seed. So you may have operated for a few years at this point. Um, But so far, Produce Locator luckily has been able to be self-funded and bootstrapped. So rather than talking more about corporations and stuff like that, let's move on to a different topic. And my next question for you is on YouTube, we always see dozens of vlogs about what people do day to day in their lives. And we were wondering if you could kind of give us a podcast version of this, a.k.a. what the day in the life of an entrepreneur really is like in your eyes. Yeah, so there really is no same day to day that an entrepreneur does. It's different every single day. I've worn all hats in a corporation. So I have been managing ops or, you know, operations, I should say, and tech teams. 
sourcing and maintaining partnerships, doing marketing, finances, recruiting, product design, sales, research, and legal matters, everything. So um, it really depends on what the company needs at that point in time. That's what I'm doing that day. And I'm really organized. Um, I use lists in my phone that, you know, under the today list, it'll say, this is what I need to do today. And I'll organize it in list of priority. So every day really is different. That's really cool because I think a lot of people have this like perception, you know, there's based off of all the stuff you see on social media with like vlogs of like, oh yeah, I'm a successful person. Here's what I do on a day-to-day basis. But really it kind of, it it depends a lot, especially when you're like the founder of a company, you're kind of just doing whatever's necessary for that company on that initial day, you know? So um, especially for things like hiring and recruitment, uh, there's days where you might get like five applications and there's days where you might get like a hundred applications. So I remember watching this video from like Elon Musk, where he was openly talking about like how he doesn't care about somebody's degree. In fact, it kind of like just like throws it away, tosses it to the side and really focuses on uh, their collaboration skills and the actual knowledge they have about the issue that they're working on much more heavily. So could you talk about like the process that you go through when hiring people? Yeah, it's funny because when I do post something, I will get hundreds of applicants and only 10% filled out the application properly and have all the qualifications. So in my experience of being a recruiter, a lot of people really don't put in the effort to make a big impact. Um, but I have to say, <laughs> I might get in trouble for this. Um, but I agree with Elon. I had this one software developer that I brought onto the company. His name was Tyner, and he did not have a degree in computer science. But he ended up being one of the best software engineers that I worked with at the company because he was self-taught. So he didn't even go to, I don't even think he went to some uh, academy or anything like that. He literally just learned on the internet how to code. And that showed me that he had a lot of dedication and he was able to be independent and he was really passionate about coding. And then that's what made him, those characteristics are what made him such a good worker with me. And he didn't only just have passion for coding, but he also had passion for the company itself and what we stood for because he did have a degree, but I think it was in environmental science. So he was passionate about sustainability and that we were public benefit corp. And I like to hire people that have, you know, that same mission and and vision that we do, that have the same values. So that's a good example of just how um, a degree sometimes doesn't matter. What matters most is the characteristics of that person, whether they're passionate and dedicated. So as high schoolers, we're commonly told that we need to go to college and get a degree and that's the only way we'll succeed in life. And that's what Ayush and I hear on a daily basis, living in a primarily Indian household. So 
we're always pushed that we need to go to university, we need to get into a top university and stuff like that. And you went to a very prestigious school, Harvard, for business. So we were wondering if you could talk to us and our listeners a little bit about your experience at the university and why you thought that that was a good fit for you and what you truly learned from it. Yeah, so it's funny because the last question and this one are kind of contradicting <laughs> about education. But I, when I went to Harvard, I was playing the game um, because a lot of recruiters, they do look at what school you went to and it does make a big difference usually. I think it's almost a little rare to find people like me and Elon that um, hire a different way. However, yes, I went to Harvard. I want to clarify that um, I went to CUNY first where I created a degree there and hopped around to a bunch of different schools in the city to complete that degree. And then during my last semester, I was also started attending Harvard for a certificate in sustainable business strategies. So it was a really good school though, I must say. Um, I learned a lot from the class that I took there. And that's saying a lot because it's almost hard for me to feel like I learn a lot from college or um, high school or whatever, because most of what I know, I learned on my own. Like at the end of the day, when I was done with class, I would sit down and do research on my computer or read a book that would teach me more about business or different industries or whatever I was interested at that time. So I really took that initiative to self-teach as well. Um, but when I attended Harvard, I would say it definitely was, um, you know, when we're talking about learning from other people, one of the best education that I've had. Great. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing your experiences at Harvard. Now, um, I've watched a lot of Shark Tank and Shark Tank, one of the common questions they seem to ask is is always like the differentiation questions so they always ask something like well how does your product differentiate from the um produce from the other uh, from the other competition throughout that industry so i'm going to ask you that over here and uh and ask you some tips on how to answer those types of questions because i'm sure for any like young entrepreneurs out there answering that question is very hard because you know they might have an idea like a clothing company but then there's like a dozen other clothing co- clothing companies out there so how do i differentiate my product and it, that can be a very difficult question to answer so i wanted to ask um how does produce locator differentiate from other of its uh, from other competitors and also how are you how are you able to go through the thought process of formulating those types of differences and uh what are some what what is some advice that you have to create those types of to create those types of differences in your business and put like a unique spin on it first off you can't do enough market research so you need to interview your market firsthand not just secondary research and from there just talking to them you will find out the problem that needs to be solved. Like what's the problem that needs to be solved? And then also what is the competitors doing that they wish they were doing? So what differentiates Produce Locator from our competitors if we have more of a white glove approach? So we help out, um, we help the retailers 
a little bit more or provide them with more resources and whatnot than our competitors do. So for example, we provide customer service for retailers so they don't really need to worry about answering questions or concerns and they can focus their time on fulfilling orders. Um, we connect them with a third party delivery partner so that they don't need to worry about hiring in-house carriers. Um, we help out with marketing. We don't make them um, have their POS connected. So we handle like finance stuff for them as well. Um, we do photography for them so that they don't have to take pictures of everything on their menu when they're connecting to the marketplaces. And then we also offer a branding strategy. So our services go beyond then go beyond just, you know, being this platform. Like we want to help them out as much as possible to make sure that they're successful. So you've talked a lot about market research and finding funding and a lot of stuff like that. And entrepreneurship and starting a business has become sort of a trend at this point. And the only problem is, is that a lot of schools don't really focus on entrepreneurship and how to develop an entrepreneurial mindset and stuff like that. But lucky for Ayush and I, we have a course called Empowering Entrepreneurs, where we're walked through the whole entrepreneurial process from creating a mission statement to finding the simple idea that you want to start with and making sure that's actual viable opportunity. So for all the high schoolers out there who are thinking of becoming entrepreneurs, could you give them some advice for some habits that they can start now to build up an entrepreneurial mindset and work ethic? I'd love to. So the reality of being an entrepreneur that maybe some people don't tell is it's a real emotional roller coaster. So it can be really lonely. It can be very stressful a lot of pressure. Um, I honestly developed anxiety when I was not working. <laughs> like I needed to work from the second I woke up, from the second that I went to bed. And when I wasn't working, I would have strong anxiety from not working because I felt like I always needed to be. And that's an experience that a lot of entrepreneurs have. And then also insomnia. I developed that as well. And so there's a lot of sleep deprivation, um, mental exhaustion. You have to sacrifice a lot. And there's a lot of unacceptance from peers or family and friends because it's a really risky path to take. It's not um, ordinary or maybe what your loved ones want you to do because it's it's scary. So <laughs> habits to start now, if this is a path that you want to take, is you need to master your mind and routine. So when I was stressed out and I developed anxiety, and you know, before then I didn't have any understanding of why people had anxiety. It made no sense to me. And then when I experienced it, I got into meditation. So that is something to master your mind with. A habit to start now is understand meditation it doesn't have to be some weird spiritual thing it really is just mastering your mind um and then also in terms of routine sleep a lot of entrepreneurs say like yeah no i only get three hours of sleep because i'm always grinding and that's 
and they make it seem like it's glorified when in reality you you need to get um, enough sleep. Like you shouldn't be working like that, even though that's what I did. But it kind of decreases your ability to work as well as you can. And then also fitness is a big part of stress relief and just keeping your mind focused and getting a routine down for that and a routine for when you work. Um, so I didn't have any of that in the beginning. And those are all things, habits that I'm that I have now. And then also always trying to improve upon as well. And then you, I think you mentioned entrepreneurial mindset. So when it comes to that, you really just have to be optimistic and passionate and positive because 90% of startups fail and partly because there's a lack of long-term passion or love for your product or entrepreneurship. Um, And you must be willing to wear all hats and handle pressure and failure as well. I really like what you said about sleep there. I think uh, a lot of people in today's day and age are like, oh yeah, I only sleep four hours a night. So I work way harder than you and I'm going to be more successful than you. I'm going to sleep when you're dead. Blah, blah. I'm, I'm going to sleep when I'm dead. Blah, 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 blah. But um, I think sleep is really, really important. And I, I actually heard a quote once. So it was directed towards high schoolers. It was saying, if you're staying up till like one or two studying and then losing out on sleep because of that, you're stepping over dollar bills for pennies, right? Because that sleep that you would have gotten would have, improved your cognitive function and helped you think on the test much more than cramming last minute would have. So um, I think sleep is incredibly important. Uh, If you could just talk a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the things that you use to try to keep a consistent sleep schedule, even while like as an entrepreneur being so busy, what you do, what you did to, you know, still sleep early, wake up early and uh, still get a good night's sleep despite being so busy as a as, 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 uh, as an entrepreneur? When I developed insomnia, I started taking melatonin, but that's not really a good way to be sustainable. So I got out of that and tried to meditate myself to sleep with, it worked really well. I mean, really well. And then also um, essence oils, they help um, when you are able to, it's weird. It's like you smell the certain scent and it makes you tired, (laughs) but they work really well and are natural. So that is also something that I utilize to help me fall asleep. So I think we're almost at our 30 minute mark. So I just wanted to ask you one final question. Entrepreneurship is something that I'm personally very interested in. It's something that I want to pursue my future in. And for everybody else out there who does DECA or any other business club or anything like that, do you have any really standout tips for them that they can use to further their entrepreneurial mindset and not just develop it, but rather further it and how to cultivate that passion to go past what just the startup stages and actually create a full-fledged company that you're proud of? Yeah, so... One thing I will say is hire people smarter than you. Don't be afraid to be the dumbest person in the room because every person needs to bring something to the table that you hire. And this includes co-founders. Um, you, If you go to business school together with your co-founder and that's how you met and your friends, then 
and you have the same major and you went through the same classes, then you're not really complementing each other. Like you need to have diversified skills. And then just another thing besides people in your company, but people outside of your company, you need to surround yourself with other people that are either, you know, have an entrepreneurial mind or just positive people, successful people. Because like I said, it's a really lonely ride and you'll get a lot of unacceptance from your peers. So to be able to surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you instead is really important. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Ms. Giuliano. We got some great discussions and knowledge out of it. Just to sum it up for our listeners, starting a business is a very difficult and long process that requires a lot of knowledge and perseverance. But everyone should at least try to start their business just once to learn the struggles and successes that a business owner goes through. To our listeners out there, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel at High School Not So Much A Musical and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this episode. Watch out for future episodes where we speak with an experienced college counselor on how college application essays work, an economics teacher with 17 years of experience on the importance of learning economics, and two TikToking twins who promote STEM and youth advocacy. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. And a big thank you to Miss Giuliano once again. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Zoladanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like this show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.